will be reading from Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a scholar of the Hebrew Scriptures tried to trap Jesus. The scholar said, Teacher, what must I do to experience the eternal life? Jesus, answering with a question, What is it written in the Hebrew Scriptures? How do you interpret their answer to your question? The scholar said, You shall love, love the eternal one, your God, with everything you have, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, Perfect. Your answer is correct. Follow these commands and you will live. The scholar was frustrated by this answer, response, because he was hoping to make himself appear smarter than Jesus. The scholar said, ah, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, this fellow was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho when some robbers mugged him. They took his clothes, they beat him to a pulp, and left him naked and bleeding and in critical condition. By chance, a priest was going down that same road, and when he saw the wounded man, he crossed over to the other side and passed by. Then a Levite, who was on his way to assist in the temple, also came and saw the victim lying there, and he too kept his distance. Then a despised Samaritan journeyed by. When he saw the fellow, he felt compassion for him. The Samaritan went over to him, stopped the bleeding, applied some first aid, and put the poor fellow on his donkey. He brought the man to an inn and cared for him through the night. The next day, the Samaritan took out some money, two days' wages to be exact, and paid to the innkeeper, saying, Please take care of this fellow, and if this isn't enough, I'll repay you next time I pass through. Which of these three proved himself a neighbor to the man who had been mugged by the robbers? The scholar says, the one who showed mercy to him. Jesus said, well, then go and behave like that Samaritan.
In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. All right, well, the lectionary text for this week is obviously a well-known story, one of the Good Samaritans. How many people have never heard that story before today? Yeah, everybody's heard the story of the Good Samaritan. It's all over. It's been done in movies and all over the place. And so it's a story we are all very familiar with. And uh, to start our conversation today, we're going to have an easy question. Uh, Who is your neighbor? You can answer it in any way you want. So break off in groups or two or three and uh, just talk about who is your neighbor? All right, so what do, what do we think? What do we have? What do you have for me this morning? Who is your neighbor? Everyone. Who's your neighbor, Kevin? You had a you had a thoughtful response. All right, close friends, but it can but it can be everyone. It can be the person that like literally next door. Yeah, sure. Good answer. Anything else? Okay. All right. All right. That's good. Getting a little bit more specific. All right, so if you didn't hear him, he said the person crowding next to you in the market. Yeah, Rose. Spiders in the bathtub. That's a good response. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good response. If you didn't hear her, she said, even the creepy uh, spiders in your bathroom that you just want to wash down the drain are our created neighbors that serve a purpose. So, yeah, so there are a lot of answers to this question. It's uh, a very open response. And the Hebrew scholar in the story of the Good Samaritan that we're going to go back over and read uh, had a very particular thing in mind whenever he's trying to kind of corner Jesus in this situation. And he, in his mind, also has a particular uh, picture of who he thinks is his neighbor, and we'll we'll walk through this. So if you have if you have your Bible or phone, feel free to um, to flip open to uh, Luke 10:25, and uh, we're going to walk through this story a little bit and uh, see if there's uh, little nuggets in here that um, can ring true for us today. It's uh, Luke 10. 25 through 37, Gospel of Luke. Verse 25, just then a scholar of the Hebrew Scriptures tried to trap Jesus. So right from the beginning, Luke sets up this story, our narrator sets up the story in a way that uh, we kind of know the motivation that's going on here. So uh, we have a little bit of an inside picture into uh, the motivation of the person who is going to be our main figure here. Uh, how many people watch or listen to uh, the news station of our choice because we kind of know they'll most likely align with what we already think or know? Does anybody, no, just me? Just me? Wow, you guys are well-rounded. Impressive. 
but I think we should think of this story in much of the same way. The Hebrew scholar, in many ways, uh, comes to Jesus with the same mindset. He wants Jesus, in many ways, to verify what he already knows. I mean, he is a Hebrew scholar, so he has dedicated his entire life to the study of this thing. Jesus, a well-known rabbi at the time, he comes to him basically wanting Jesus to sort of affirm what he already knows. And I think a lot of times we, even as Christians, if you've been in the church a while, sort of treat the Bible in such a way. And so when we read a story like the Good Samaritan, especially one that we're all really, really familiar with, we need to look at it with fresh eyes. In order to do that, a good way to do that is we've been really conditioned to understand the Pharisees as the villain of the story, right? The Hebrew scholars are the villain. And so when we read the story, what do we do? We instantly put ourselves in the position of Jesus, right? So when we put ourselves in the narrative, we see ourselves as Jesus. But to the original hearers of this message, they would have associated the Hebrew scholar or the religious official as a good guy, like as the not a villain in the story. So even though we've been conditioned to see, okay, this person is a good guy, this person is a bad guy, we uh, also have to come to the scripture with a fresh eye to say, okay, we already kind of know what we believe as Christian. I've been in the church 40 years. And so when I read the Good Samaritan, I know what I'm going to already get out of it. And so whenever we start reading through this text, let's try to read it with some fresh eyes and not think, oh, I already know what it says, and I'm going to get the uh, moral of the story that I kind of already know. Does that make sense? All right. Verse, uh, second half of verse 25, the scholar says, Teacher, what must I do to experience the eternal life? Here's that phrase, the eternal life, that we talked about a few weeks ago. And uh, in this word where the scholar addresses him with teacher, that instantly is another signal of uh, a, a title given to Jesus that a narrator in the Gospels typically doesn't give to Jesus. It's already an improper uh, signal for how he sort of views Jesus as teacher. So a narrator wouldn't call Jesus teacher, and Jesus doesn't really refer to himself as teacher. So that's a bit of a signal. So... What must I do to experience eternal life? Jesus, answering with the question, as he usually does, he says, well, Mr. Smarty Pants, that's my version, what is written in the Hebrew Scriptures? How do you interpret, uh, and how do you answer your own question? So Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, answers by, uh, answers by responding with a question. And the scholar says, well, you shall love the Lord shall love the eternal one, your God, with everything you have, all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, perfect. Your answer is 100% correct. Follow these commands and you will live. So Jesus kind of, in some ways, does exactly what the Hebrew scholar kind of wants. He just sort of affirms exactly what the Hebrew scholar already knows. Someone who would probably near have the, uh, what we have consider the Old Testament, which was their whole scripture at the time, probably has most of it memorized. So whenever Jesus responds with, you know, well, what does it say in there? And he gives this really good answer, love the uh, Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Jesus says, well, yeah, there you go. Your answer is correct. You know, go and live accordingly. But even though the, it may be what the scholar sort of wanted to hear, the scholar like keeps pressing the issue. And so he responds, but ah, Verse 28, who is my neighbor? So in the original context, so we said at the beginning, uh, you know, who is our neighbor? And whenever the Hebrew, whenever the, 
whenever the Hebrew scholar asks a, a question like this, who is my neighbor, uh, will actually the second part of the uh, love your neighbor as yourself, it actually gives the qualification for who, for an Israelite, would be your neighbor, which is just a fellow Israelite. So the Hebrew scholar is aware of what he's asking. He knows the answer because if he has this part of the, the verse memorized, he has the other part memorized as well. He knows that for him, neighbor is a, uh, it's a geopolitical signifier. It is an ethnic signifier. So he knows the answer to his own question, but he keeps pushing, which he'll soon regret. So he says, ah, but who is my neighbor, Jesus? And as Jesus does, he never answers. He said, instead tells a story. So verse 30, Jesus says, well, this fellow was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho when some robbers mugged him. They took his clothes, they beat him to a pulp, and they left him naked and bleeding and in critical condition. So this this traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho, uh, most people recognize that this would have been a fairly regularly traveled path. So that's kind of our setting, a fairly regularly traveled road, and this guy just gets beaten up and just left to the side of the road. So verse 31, by chance, a priest, our first character in the story, was going down the same road. When he saw a wounded man, he crossed over the other side and passed by. How harsh. How harsh is that? So you might be saying, what was, what was, this is a priest passes by. What is, what's this guy doing? But really, in order to, for the priest to love his neighbor, he was required by law that if he were to love his neighbor, which would be his fellow countrymen, he had to pass by. He had to pass by. If he, if he didn't pass by, Jesus... I mean, he's just such an unbelievable uh, storyteller. Some translations in verse 30 will say they left the man half dead. And what that essentially means is you wouldn't be able to tell just from this like well-traveled road that the guy over there was dead or not. So it, it puts this little uh, qualification that if you were a priest, you would have had to put yourself out on the line uh, to maybe be ritually impure, which then you wouldn't be able to love your neighbor as yourself later, because your duty as a priest was to go to the temple and to perform uh, rites for the people. And in order to love your neighbor, you had to be ritually clean. So Jesus does these things where uh, there was even actually a rabbinic tradition at the time, this is how good of a storyteller Jesus was, that said uh, there is a loophole. There is a loophole if you are Jewish, and you see someone, like if you were a priest, and you saw someone laying half dead on a untraveled road, like say out in the field or something, then you could, through that loophole, go and help that man. So Jesus doesn't give you that out here, right? So in this story, he says, this is a well-traveled road, and you can't tell if the guy is uh, dead or not, right? So verse 32, then a Levite, who was on his way to assist in the temple, so a Levite would have been uh, kind of a temple assistant, uh, also came and he saw the victim lying there, half dead, and he too decided to keep his distance. So it would have been the same thing. He would be ritually impure if he went over there. And so uh, in order to love their neighbor, they, on a well-traveled road, they have a good excuse and a good reason to say, well, this is a well-traveled road. I'm sure somebody else would be along to help them. If I were to help that person, then that would put me in jeopardy and that person may already be dead. Right? So they are doing their duty to love their neighbor. 
Verse 33, then a despised Samaritan, your uh, translation may not say despised, but a despised Samaritan journeyed by. When he saw the fellow, he felt compassion for him. So instantly for the Hebrew scholar, this would have been like, what a Samaritan? (laughs) Why did you throw a Samaritan into this story? Because in this translation, he is despised for a reason. Um, this is a little, uh, just a little snippet of what you would maybe kind of get a clue for who the Samaritan would have been seen, what he would have been seen as for, um, for this Hebrew scholar. Uh, it is essentially not a person from a radically different culture from you, say on the other side of the world or something, um, but a nearby neighbor whose skin color, language, or rituals, or values, ancestry, history, and customs are different from your own. So this is someone that has had, between the Samaritans and the Israelites, a complicated history that goes into uh, ancestry, ethnicity, all of their rituals, their language, their theology, and uh, two groups of people that would not like each other. So whenever the Hebrew scholar hears this, uh, that a despised Samaritan is the next one to journey by, his ears probably would have really perked up. So verse 34. When the Samaritan went over to him, he stopped the bleeding, he applied some first aid, and he put the poor fellow on his donkey, and he brought the man to an inn and cared for him through the night. The next day, the Samaritan took out some money, two days, two days' wages, and said to the innkeeper, Hey, uh, please take care of this fellow. This isn't enough. I'll repay you the next time I come through. So the Samaritan does what? He has compassion. He has love. But he really gets his hands dirty. I love this translation of this story because he, it gets detailed. You know, he would have had to, he would have had to stop the bleeding first. He would have had to apply some sort of first aid for the guy. Uh, it would have required him carrying him up onto uh, his donkey and then bringing a guy to some sort of housing unit here as an inn. And then it says he cared for him through the whole night. So you just kind of wonder in your mind what that night of caring for him would look like. The Samaritan has to not only have compassion and love, but he has to really get his hands dirty. Verse 36, Jesus flips the entire question around. So I kind of asked all of us a trick question this morning when I said, who is your neighbor? Because I asked the same question as the Hebrew scholar. But Jesus never, ever answers this question. Instead, he flips it around. He said, which of the three proved himself a neighbor to the man who had been mugged by the robbers? So the neighbor is actually the one is not the recipient, but actually the giver. And so he rearranges the scholar's original question. And so he forces the scholar to, to say, well, verse 37, the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus responds, well then, go and behave like that Samaritan. I feel like we have all lived this parable this week. Uh, the brutal murders of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling have been a devastating reminder that in this country, all lives have not mattered. 
According to the Washington Post, uh, in 2015, black men accounted for 40% of unarmed people fatally shot by police. And when adjusted for the population, were seven times as likely as unarmed white men to die from police. According to another study done by The Guardian in 2015, young black men were nine times more likely than other Americans to be killed by police. Despite making up only 2% of the total population, black males between the ages of 15 and 35 comprised more than 15% of all deaths logged last year by an ongoing investigation into uh, police using deadly force. So the gospel message today is this. Black lives do matter. They have to matter. And this conversation today matters because the cost of not having this conversation is paid in lives. Uh, of course, we, we mourn all forms of violence, everywhere, anywhere. Um, after all, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But let us not dismiss one form of explicit violence by pointing towards other forms of terror. Remember that both the priest and the temple assistant had good reasons for passing by the man on the side of the road. Believe me, there will always be excuses to pass by the man on the side of the road. And like the two men in the parable, you may even have a fair excuse. But don't be fooled. These are lawful distractions from love, they are conveniences to privilege, and they are diversions from the truth. You may be thinking, but Ryan, don't blue lives matter? Don't all lives matter? But remember that the lawyer is asking the same question when he said, ah, but who is my neighbor? As if to say, which team are we really on, Jesus? This, too, is another skillful sidestep to having compassion, to having to get our hands dirty, to having to act. So instead of filling our time and wasting our breath about whose side is on who, which side, which team are you on, Come on, man. Look at them. You're either with the cops or you're with the protesters. No, 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 no. You're either on All Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter. Let's remember that Jesus doesn't call us to choose teams. He calls us to love and he calls us to act. In this parable, the Samaritan first sees the man, which is an important distinction. This week, we were all witnesses to the devastation that exists in our country and in our communities. The Samaritan first sees the man, and then in his, in his compassion is moved to action, to care for, to house, to support the person who is hurting. So this week, we have all seen. We have all seen. And the only question today is, will you pass by? Let's pray. thank you for um, your word and that your word is still alive and relevant and moving and transformative for our lives today. Uh, that your word is a message of hope, is a message of healing, it is a message 
that calls us to action, that inspires us, um, is our very life that we get to partake in. So may you fill us with your hope that we would continue to love, that we would be uh, enlivened by your word, that we would see it as uh, fresh and new as ever today, and that you would inspire us in whatever field and whatever circles we uh, work or run in, that we would uh, inspire change and hope and vitality in the lives of the people around us. You've called us to have and to live life to the fullest. To live life to the fullest. So may we fight on behalf of those who do not have a voice. May we uh, stand alongside those who are hurting, who are grieving, who need a hand to hold. Whichever way uh, you have placed each one of us, whatever situation that we can can love or offer words of encouragement and to stand in action, uh, may we be each compelled and moved in those directions. And we are so grateful and so thankful. Everybody said, Amen.